Welcome to the Humans of Nutrition podcast, brought to you by Nutrition Talent, a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. I'm Dr. Danielle McCarthy. And I'm Anna Wheeler. This podcast delves into the world of nutrition to help unlock ideas and collaborative action so that everyone can thrive. Today we are joined by Zoe Kavanagh, Chief Executive of the National Dairy Council in Ireland, bringing with her her extensive experience of the dairy sector. Zoe's degree is in agriculture and food engineering, and in her varied career, she has worked across marketing, reputational and stakeholder management, and of course, nutrition. She also brings international FMCG experience, having worked at PepsiCo across the full supply chain. So, Hi Zoe, thank you so very much for joining us today. Um, we're actually recording this on a Friday afternoon, quite late into the afternoon, so an extra special thank you for, for joining us. Um, we're really looking forward to speaking you today, to, to you today and finding out really you know, what you're doing as an organisation and really delving into um, dairy, but specifically talking a bit more about nutrition and sustainability as we do so. Um, so we worked on a project recently, which was fantastic, and it really you know, fueled my interest in this area. So we're so pleased to, to have you on today. So welcome. Thank you. I'm um, delighted to join so, you. Thanks very much. So um, yeah, we'll delve right in with a question for you. Um, and it is such a fascinating time within the nutrition world at the moment with that huge focus on sustainability and particularly the trend around plant-based eating with the dairy sector being one of those that is being particularly scrutinised. So it'd be really great to hear from you from your perspective about how you see nutrition and sustainability goals working together and how do you see this from a dairy sector perspective? Well, you know, as you've said, it is a fascinating time um, where the world of nutrition and sustainability and environment um, really have to figure out how they work together. And normally um, science and policy lead the way, but actually what we're noticing in the dairy industry um, are consumer trends leading the way, consumer behavior, consumer curiosity. And I think as a sector, um, not just a sector of farmers as producers or cooperatives as processors, um, but a sector that uh, producers, processors, health professionals, policymakers, and the population at large really get clear on what is being set down as a scales where you're looking at the balancing act between the environmental impact of producing food and the nutritional benefit of consuming food. And there's you know, a few observations uh, to be made there. No food can be uh, made available on shelf for consumers without having some carbon footprint or some environmental impact. You know, all calories have an environmental impact. And then you quickly move to, you know, not all calories are made equal. And some calories, you know, are, are packed, have a, a whole package of nutrition compared to others. So I think what we're looking at here, actually, for the first time in nutrition and dietetics is uh, that, that world having to equally understand um, how food is produced. So for the dairy sector, I'm immediately observing a bridge being built between my farmers as food producers and the whole community of health professionals to get comfortable with each other's space. So the health professional and um, scientific community to truly understand the environmental impact of producing the food. And actually my farmers as food producers being really clear that they are um, 
you know, part of population health. They are feeding the planet. So it, it's almost like a reintroduction of, of both sides of the equation. But the reintroduction is with the purpose of ensuring that consumers are fully informed, not misled. And actually, you know, it, it's almost our public duty to ensure that the facts are clear and how we're communicating the facts um, are clear. So I, I think it's, it's, it's a wake up call for um, uh, all concerned communities. And, you know, I tend to be very optimistic in my outlook. I actually see a massive opportunity for dairy to restage itself um, as being a, um, you know, a, a highly nutritious food source produced responsibly sitting at the heart of population health. Excellent. Oh, thank you. That's such a such a useful overview. And it's, it's a really interesting you know, thing to think about the, the farmers and the health professionals particularly coming together, because I think you're right. I think there's sometimes a disconnect between such important you know, people within within the profession. Um, but obviously you mentioned yeah. farmers already. Um, and I've heard you speak before about how the, the National Dairy Council is a farmer led organisation. I just wondered if you might like to ex explain a bit more about that and, you know, how that works within your organisation and how you work with farmers and what changes are they actually implementing within their agricultural practices that are helping with sustainability? Because um, that's certainly something that I didn't know a lot about before. And I'm sure some of our listeners would like to understand some of those you know, practical things that are taking place out there at the moment. Sure. Well, just to give a bit of context to your listenership, um, the National Dairy Council is a farmer funded organisation. So dairy farmers make a contribution which is linked to the volume of milk that they produce. So my lords and masters are the dairy farmers. And um, what's really interesting is, you know, they, they, they are both my mirror and they are my fire. I always think that the soles of my feet. That's a nice way of looking at it. And they're also here <laughs> in terms of reflecting, you know, am I am I representing them appropriately? Um, and and we've gone on a bit of a journey. So traditionally, we were exclusively focused on the nutritional benefit of dairy as a product portfolio in consumers lives. Um, so with that in mind, we understood all the variety of dairy products and the role they play um, from cradle to grave uh, as a product portfolio being consumed. And actually, with the benefit of hindsight, that was quite a straightforward um, task to conduct on their behalf. But now, um, with the challenges of climate change, um, one of the things that I'm having to work on their behalf is actually educating um, the public at large as to how dairy farmers in Ireland farm. Because actually, um, a lot of our consumers get their information, you know, through the internet, through Netflix, through, through, they get, this is the, I call it the global effect, global local effect. And actually, if my dairy farmers are characterized in this global world, um, what consumers believe is the cows are all indoors on feedlots um, and, and, you know, in, in sort of, multiple thousand head production units and that is so far from representing the local agenda so in ireland and you know this is where i'm really passionate about educating people that in ireland we are family farmed we are grass fed average herd size is about 90 cows 
Um, animals have a very different existence in Ireland compared to many other parts of the world. And actually, um, because both Ireland and New Zealand have, a, have grass as the fundamental food input, um, they have the lowest carbon footprint in the world in terms of dairy production. So, you know, the average, like Ireland would be um, uh, like less than half the global average in terms of carbon footprint uh, per litre of product produced. So Gosh. I guess working on, on farmers' behalves, they feel, look, they're consumers like the rest of us. They read the newspapers, they listen to the news and, you know, they feel the heat. They, they see that they're at the eye of a debate, you know, is the environmental impact too significant for Ireland to be producing dairy? And frankly, they're so confused because they say, we produce so efficiently, how can we be part of a debate? So the reality is the homework we've been set here in Ireland in terms of uh, a climate response in agriculture is to reduce our footprint by 25%, reduce emissions by 25% by 2030. So what that means is farmers have to on the ground change a lot of their practices in order to meet their 25% target, their homework, and that's legally binding. So what that means is they're having to um, stitch in different varieties of grass on their grassland. They're having to manage soil, like as if they're a, a master gardener. They're having to change their animal breeding strategies because actually you can breed to produce an animal with a lower emissions um, footprint. And then they're having to do things like manage the waste, so the, the slurry, they're having to manage that now in a different way and spread it on the land in a different way. So they're now, all 17,000 of them here in Ireland, literally looking at farming in a different way and making an adjustments. And then the role of, of me and my team is to take that information and actually relay it to consumers, but not just to consumers, also to, um, health professionals, and I know you're going to have a diverse uh, listenership, but both for people listening who are involved in policy or in health professionals, what they need to um, understand is the way dairy products in Ireland are being produced is changing for the better. So when their um, clients or patients come in and say, I think I need to give up dairy to save the planet, they can be more informed. So actually in Ireland, it's a grass-based system, there's, there's a suite of you know, activities taking place so that this is going to be produced in an even better and more responsible way. And oh, by the way, can we talk about the health benefits? Good for your bones, good for your muscle, good for the microbiome, etc., etc. So it's back to this trend of the bridge building between farmers, food producer, consumers, consumer, but scientists, health professionals and policymakers knowing what the sector is doing to be um, proactive in the face of the climate challenge yeah wow so like that 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 just says what the power of the diversity of dairy before we think i guess traditionally of the diversity of products that we think of as consumers that we have with dairy but actually the diversity of farmer type you know farm type and all of those things you know it is much more complicated um, and I guess, you know, I have to put my biases there as, as coming from a family of, of farmers in Ireland. I think something something Barbara Bray actually brought up in, in our podcast with her is, 
you know, farmers have always been the custodians of our land. They know so much and it's part of their investment in terms of the sustainability of their family farms, of their future generations to to sustain that land and those animals and as best as they possibly can be in the way in which field farming is setting, set up here culturally. So, so I think you've painted a really nice story there in terms of the complexity that maybe before we didn't think of as a nutritionist community um, because we have been distant from what goes on before the farm gate. We've been interested in what happens once that um, product is created and how that product is created rather than you know, what the, the farmers doing and how we can work together and collaborate, you know, so as we can use all of that, you know, that wisdom and that knowledge of the land. And, and it's all right for a scientist to say we have to do X, Y and Z when it comes to increasing the biodiversity of what grasses are grown. Equally, the farmer's talent and knowledge of how to do that is is critically important here to, to actually be able to implement some of those areas that need to change to have that positive impact. Yeah, and you know, simply put, I, I take the view if we that th there's been a a very um, hot debate certainly taking place over the past six months around each sector from transport, energy, agriculture, all being set targets. And there's been a real debate about you know to what extent these targets should be um, set, and I think certainly within agriculture and specifically dairy farming. If you start from the point of dairy farmers are part of the solution, that collaboration that you've just alluded to is so implied. But if you start from a place that dairy farmers are the problem, you're never, you know, suddenly you're not looking at it collaboratively. You're not into problem solving. You're 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 into you know having quite a quite a spat really. So I think this idea of of it's, and it's not just dairy farmers and scientists and policymakers and environmentalists. Look, as a society, we all have a collective responsibility to um, look after planet Earth. So we all have to collectively say, what is it that we need to do every day to um, have less of an impact? And um, I think, and I, I know you might say, you would say this because of the organisation I lead out. I think time will prove that dairy farmers have are much more proactive than society at large. And I think if we all look into ourselves, there's very few of us who've got rid of the second car, have reduced the flights, you know, who are shopping differently, who have stepped away from fast fashion. And actually, they're just some, you know, day-to-day -day examples. And meanwhile, our dairy farmers as food producers are actually doing that. And the other thing I'd love to say is in from a research perspective, we're always talking to consumers around both the product portfolio and the, the production system. And when we characterize dairy farmers as food producers or in our research questions, the more we link the, the farmer to the food, the more positive they are viewed, the more we pull them away from food and just characterize them as farmers farming the land, you see that the trust scores deteriorate. And I just think this whole piece of being part of a solution and being part of a collaborative system of systems is much more um, hopeful and inspiring than just putting people in silos um, and, and examining 
scrutinizing their climate impact and judging them accordingly. So I, I, I just feel what I'm living through in the prism of dairy farming is such a transferable experience in whatever sector you're in. Yeah, that that's yeah phenomenal, and and I guess it's it's that whole thing. What can we learn from different sectors? I, I'm sure that 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 could be a whole other podcast, you know, as to the transferability yeah, of knowledge there. And um, one of the things you know, and you've mentioned it already, is you know that misinformation. Okay, so if some of our listeners are on and and they find us and welcome, and and they're they're not actually from, you know, that they're interested in nutrition, but they don't work in the field, for example. You know, what would you say are the biggest myths around dairy that you would want to dispel today okay can i start with i'm going to start with the dairy product portfolio because uh, again this is an area that we have researched and you know no matter what food or drink sector you work in you're always really curious about what are the barriers to consumption um, you're always trying to you know get the insights um to those questions and actually um I can very confidently characterize the three barriers to dairy consumption, and they are fat, allergy, and intolerance. They are the three barriers. And it's interesting because we um, have looked at the three of them, and uh, fat in particular, um, we delved really deep to try and understand that better. And the, the level of, um, confusion around fat content in in dairy portfolio um, is really high um, we've had respondents telling us that they believe that the fat content of milk is 40 percent wow yeah so i think and i'm going to just focus in and try and illustrate this because again i think to some of your listenership in this space if if you go back to um the butter versus margarine debate that took place over 30 years ago and butter got displaced by margarine and a lot of brands and big corporates um, you know, positioned that, that, that sort of replacement product as, as one of like heart health, um, you know, cholesterol benefits, all those kind of statements. Um, and actually, you know, fat became the bad, the baddie in all sort of diet. And I think everyone from GPs to nurses, to dietitians, to nutritionists, you know, had and i would say in in some minority of cases still have this like remove fat from the diet you've just had heart surgery heart surgery remove fat from the diet what are the fatty products well, immediately remove dairy so fat actually still has a little bit of a hangover i think from that butter margarine era um but we we've, we've been we do a lot of work in that space and we're finding we're really actually making some headway to reassure people about the role of dairy fat in the diet allergy and intolerance really interesting so the allergy and the intolerance immediately brings us into discussions around gut health irritable bowel syndrome you know you'll get a lot of consumers um saying you know they visit their gps and their health professionals because they think dairy disagrees with them some of it laid down in the really early years mums witnessing lactose intolerance and think that's therefore you know set in stone for you know all of life and um you, the reality is you take all of those and there are very specific solutions. You know, you can, um, a child in early years can present as lactose intolerance and grow out of it. Um, or just because someone's lactose intolerant, you can still have some dairy. Uh, the, it's interesting, we've done a bit of work with GPs um, and actually nutritionists and dietetics 
because one of our observations is in all the years these health professionals spend qualifying in their area of expertise, believe it or not, there's very little, uh, very little education content, particularly in medical degrees, given over to nutrition. Um, and we've identified in the degree program about six hours worth. Yeah, that's totally crazy. And I know the, the yeah. AFN are really working on that at the moment. So that is improving, at least, at least yeah. in the UK. And, and we've actually um, spoken to GPs and said, so where are you getting your information from? You know, when you have patients coming in and, and they're coming in with allergy and intolerance in particular, um, where are you getting information from? And most GPs have told us their sources of information are things like the health supplements in the daily newspapers. Um, they're actually, they're taking their information from the zeitgeist that their patients are, are getting their information. Yeah. And, you know, you can get into allergy and intolerance usually will very quickly lead to you know, cut dairy out of the diet along with all these other things and see how you're feeling and then we'll slowly reintroduce them. Or, um, you know, the intolerance can lead to the acne, skin, you know, teenagers. And, you know, we know hormones are a trigger for skin, but again it's 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 very common in in gp surgery reduce your dairy intake so we we witness um at the product portfolio the 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 barriers that i've just outlined are actually many times reinforced by the health professional community and we find that quite hard you know to sort of get in and work with health professionals to say actually where where are is the science to prove that so it's, it's a tricky one um, and, you know, we're all nearly experts on this, even just as, as regular consumers. So that's on the product level. And then the other big myth buster, again, this is back to this global local challenge, is the, on, on the environmental side, the production impact. So there is a belief, for example, that the plant-based products have a significantly less environmental impact than animal-based proteins, and in my case, specifically dairy. Uh, so again, cutting through off a grass-based system, you can clearly demonstrate um, you know, that the environmental impact is nothing like the environmental impact of, of, let's say, like almond juices, for example. And when you get into a total life cycle analysis, you're not comparing like with like. So there are two areas that we spend a lot of time trying to clarify the facts. Mm. Yeah, can I no, just ask you, one sort of just Sorry, Danielle, we're both itching to ask you questions. If I just jump in quickly. Um, I'm really interested to understand, obviously we've talked about Ireland's grass-based system and that's really interesting. I didn't know that. I'm wondering how that compares to the rest of the UK or to the UK as a whole. Um, so actually, is, it, is it a similar approach? Um, similar, but much more extensive in Ireland. So if I give you okay. a number, um, Irish cows typically out on grass for 300 days of the year okay you know between 280 and 300 days of the year and um, yeah. in 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 the uk system actually the cows would be out on grass for about 180 days a year so it is a more okay. indoor system and the minute they're indoor rather than outdoor you're obviously your your feed input is different because you've moved off grass and you're more into a grain-based diet so um, I'll give you my, my, my little fun fact on this one, um, just <laughs> a visual cue. 
uh, and this is like making a big, you know, shout out for Irish butter. Um, everyone's familiar with brand Kerrygold, but there are other brands too. But the reason Irish butter is so goldeny yellow compared to, let's say, a lure pack, which is more of a pale, you know, pale cream slash white, is the grass. So Irish butter is only made nine months of the year because the cows are out in grass. And the reason it's yellow, um, and this is one for your, your scientists, the conjugated linoleic acid, um, is, which is a derivation of a grass-based diet for the cow, is what is, is giving us the yellow characteristics. So there's your visual cue mm. on That is a fun bed. fact. Yeah, <laughs> and actually brilliant. you it can is. line up, if you're a real nerd, you can line <laughs> up a, grass, a glass of milk from a grain-based diet and from a grass-based diet and if you hold them up you will see they've got a different a different color it's subtle yeah. but it's different yeah it's our green fields over here so way on on our on our island isn't it you know and, and uh, but that but that is you know when we do think about where our food comes from and appreciating the diversity within that you know there there are differences and i think it, it, sometimes we want to simplify things because of course that you think that drives understanding, but if if we remove some of the complexity from those conversations, actually, it leads to misunderstanding. You know, my PhD was all on different types of fats, and there are different types of fats. So, you know, I completely get what you're saying there around fat is not just one thing, um, and we also always look for silver bullets. So, so interestingly, you know, personal experience of being told just forget dairy because you know your your newborn is is vomiting everywhere and and actually when you're in that situation if you're thinking it's an allergy you've got a sick kid and a health professional does give you a clear message of what the silver bullet is you take it and and you know it yeah you you raise some big points there that you know personally I've sort of experienced professionally and and personally and, and you think it is more complicated and I think that's the big challenge we have to take on um, as nutritionists is how do we get those simple messages out there but also explain that the solution might be complicated it might not be that simple um even between you know <laughs> the cows and what goes on with the milk <laughs> being produced where you are Anna to where yeah. I am you know at the minute we've talked about personalized nutrition already within this this series and you know I think that's that's something that's really important when it comes to animals as well as, as humans so um yeah lots to think about there um and and maybe that answers the, my next kind of question um Zoe um you've been at National Dairy Council for more than 11 years can you tell us you know what does drive you and keeps you motivated with with these questions and in those challenging times you know Anna and I have both worked for different brands at different times that have been front and center of the media headlines and you know it can be challenging so you know what what keeps you going and what changes have you seen in that time yeah I like to characterize my time um in the NDC as, as three Olympics um, and, and I found I could literally bookend, you know, the, the, the areas of focus. So when I came into the organization, uh, it was an organization really focused on liquid milk, just just primarily milk. And there was two aspects to that one, the nutritional benefit and the second, um, you know, the, the local production. Uh, and that was very much the, the focus. And after you, you, living through that first four years, I realized the pros and cons of, of doubling down just on milk. Um, 
the, the, the benefit is, you know, everything begins with milk. The downside is in Ireland, the actual fresh drinking milk component of dairy is only about 7% of all dairy produced. So in other words, between five and 7% of all the dairy from all the cows in Ireland goes into fresh drinking milk. The rest, the milk gets turned into um, cheese, butter, um, but primarily um, powders. Powders either for um, mm. skim milk powders, infant formula powders, um, uh, whey protein powders. So going into my second Olympics, I thought it's a bit of a career limiting move within Irish dairy to only actually be working on 7% of, of the market. Yep. You know, that, that from a relevance point of view, um, just felt very narrow. And, and also from the organization's relevance and finding voice beyond just liquid milk. So my second Olympics, um, and this was hard fought, was actually um, trying to get, position the National Dairy Council as one representing national dairy and, and the full spectrum of dairy, but, but more importantly within that, the reputation of the sector. So looking at, you know, again, the full product portfolio, but also what it stands for and looking at reputation opportunity as well as reputation risk. And we did a really interesting piece of work with all the stakeholders around actually defining reputation and defining the levers of reputation and um, really getting to the heart of, of communication with the view. And, and this, there was a lot of tension in this because our remit is domestic and there are other organizations who do international. And by me poking that bear of reputation, you know, I found some of my stakeholders really uncomfortable because it was, eh, you know, you're domestic. What, no, stay away, stay away, that's our patch. But actually where we got to was um, recognizing that if the credentials of the domestic market are not impeccable, the, the export and international market has no permission to grow and thrive. And, and we said, we've got to focus on reputation because it all starts here. And um, we really looked both at the reputation of the product portfolio and how it's produced and, and what we're famous for. And, and avoiding being guilty of drifting into kind of dreamy greenwashing type advertising. So underpinning those reputational levers with proof points. Um, relevant to us and all around, you know, credentials of the domestic market being impeccable. And now my third Olympics um, is really responding to climate change and really doubling down on um, the tension between environmental impact and um, nutritional benefit of product portfolio and how we're expressing ourselves as the National Dairy Council is on the environmental side, on behalf of dairy farmers, the way we're expressing that work is ensuring um, their social license to produce continues to grow. Because actually we're observing through the challenge of, of climate change and environment, dairy farmers social license to be dairy farmers in their communities is under threat so that must be a lot to you know to, to keep you going I personally if it, obviously there's so many different challenges is that what drives you and what motivates you personally yeah because if you can imagine the job I came into was you know understanding milk upside down and inside out yeah and then understanding um you know 
consumers and consumer insights, which, which, which I kind of came in, for, you know, I was in PepsiCo for, for 16 years and I, I brought that consumer understanding to my job. I learned the magic of milk. I then realized, well, that's great, but it's not enough. We need to make sure we're relevant to the dairy sector. So that was kind of pushing the boundaries on a reputation mm -hmm. agenda. But now yeah. I feel I am like doing three degrees in parallel because I mm -hmm. really have to learn on the job um, the environmental challenges, the production system, the, the, the proof points to be able to give um, hope to consumers that the production system is genuinely doing much, much more than saying it's going to be more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, and we got to that point of complexity. I mean, we know the product portfolio and the nutritional benefits of the product portfolio and the, the myths and misconceptions, it's all very complicated. Jump into the production system and we're finding we have a huge education job to do. And quite frankly, at the moment, a lousy set of language skills to transfer the science of environment to consumers in a repeatable cup of coffee conversation. It's yeah. just, it, it's, it's, and that is such a skill that all of us yeah. within the profession have, have had to hone over the years. And it's, it's, yeah. it's vitally important that we understand how to share those messages in an engaging way, whatever, whatever the sector is that we're talking about or whatever the product category yeah. as well. And I think there's something there as well on, on social well-being. You know, as the producers of a, a key staple within our diet, you know, and rural communities and, and health disparities and loneliness and, and that sort of social side of things as well. You know, I think we we cannot be dismissive of the humans behind th that whole production line as well. You know, that's a whole other area, a whole other podcast. <laughs> and Anna's going to be flagging me that time's up. But, you know, I don't know if you've got a brief comment on that, Zoe. I just made two of... remarks on that. I think, you know, our farmers are the fabric of our rural life um, and we need to we need to actually protect that because if farmers feel that they're being sort of driven out of their day job and off the land and I know that might sound quite dramatic but if the rural fabric of our society comes undone that's a shame and secondly um, everyone is entitled in whatever occupation to earn a living and 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 you know profit is quite often you know deemed to be a dirty word but frankly none of us would get out of bed in the morning and work hard um with pride if if we didn't have something in our bank accounts at the end of every month and farmers are no different so i think that's just where i i would you know be saying to people um you know when you're talking about people's livelihoods and income you need to just be sensitive. And it's back to that original point about, let's all be part of the solution rather than hurling rocks at each other and, and threatening each other's livelihoods or, or you know, um, being disrespectful to people's um, careers and qualifications. I, I, I just think a more collaborative approach is, will be more fruitful. Oh, and I think that's a, a really positive note to, to end this discussion on. I think there's loads more we would love to ask you about, Zoe, but we've, we've run out of time, but we always like to end on a positive so hearing you know you speak about collaboration and, and how we could 
you know, get to those solutions it is, is a brilliant end to the discussion. So thank you so very much for, for joining us today. It's been brilliant to hear your insights and to, to you know, as I said, we, we, we have worked together on something, but still I have learned a huge amount from you in this, you know, 35 minutes. So thank you so much. Um, and yeah, hopefully we might, we might have part two at some point. So thank you again for your time. Yeah, delighted to talk to you. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing how I survived the editing suite. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Zoe. Thanks. All right, take care. Have a great weekend. Humans Nutrition Podcast, proudly brought to you by Nutrition Talent. Nutrition Talent is a consultancy and recruitment company specialising in the provision of nutrition expertise. For more information about us and how we could work together, check out nutritiontalent.com.